Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 105 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week, I'm in full inspection mode as we work our way through the hives and see how they've fared. Start adding supers and carry out some vital disease inspections. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypaw Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypaw Hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Polly Langstroth Hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypaw. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website, and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. Honeypaw Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Firstly, a very happy Easter to you all. We're off and running with the new season in what are very difficult times for everybody, and I hope that you're all able to stay safe and taking care of each other. It has to be said that for me, the current coronavirus situation hasn't really affected what I do terribly, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm still without my usual team of unpaid helpers, though, Steph and Pete. All of us are trying our best to maintain social distancing and not travelling unnecessarily. That means Pete is left in the workshop doing all the essential building work, while Steph is helping out with social media posts while I'm out on the bees. And what a first week of inspections it's been. It's all too easy to get carried away with early season inspections, but I have to say most colonies have come through the final stages of spring looking in really fine condition. To start with, though, the bad news. I've finally made it round all of the apiaries, and we have lost a total of six colonies now. I don't anticipate losing any more as winter losses, so we ended up with 70 colonies to start this new season. It's interesting to see where the losses have come from and reflect on what I could have done better last season to bring more of them through. That's not to say I'm hugely disappointed with the end results. I think that using my fairly limited math skills, it works out at about 8.5% losses. And anything under 10% for me, I think, is a good result with the number of hives that I've got. Obviously, if you only have a couple of hives and you lose one, it rather skews the percentage losses, having to say that you've lost 50% of your colonies. It doesn't really reflect the numbers fairly, I think. I should probably give up and find something else to do if I lost 50% of my colonies now, but let's not tempt fate. So what have I learned from my losses this time round? After all, it's not something to deal with and move on without pausing to think about what I could have done differently to avoid those losses. Even if you have just two colonies and lose one, I would definitely suggest having think about why they were lost and how you can improve the situation this year. The colonies that I have lost fall into two unique categories, failing queens and beekeeper error. The colonies have either died out or are currently failing, and those that have died did so because they starved. At some point, the food stores they had ran out and the feed I gave them wasn't enough, or as you may have already seen on my videos, I somehow managed to block their access to the feed and starve one of the nukes. The failing colonies are all drone-laying queens, 
and some of these I had rather anticipated late last year. Let me explain. All of the failing queens were very late emerging virgin queens last year, looking back at the records mostly around mid to late September. So my best guess as to why they failed is probably down to a lack of drones to mate with at that time. Virgin queens need a plentiful supply of drones to be able to secure successful mating. It really is survival of the fittest, and these virgin queens need a strong group of drones to fly with so that only the very fittest mature drones are able to mate with them. If there are only immature, weaker drones available, and the queen mates with those, she doesn't really have the luxury of going back out post-mating to give it another try, so to speak. Once mated, that's it. She's got to use whatever sperm she's been able to store, and for some, that may not be much, if any, at all. All of the mated queens from these failing batch were producing worker honeybees late into the autumn, so they did manage to get partially mated. The problem comes now when they have either run out of sperm or developed some kind of blockage or other physical problem that prevents them from being able to fertilise eggs. Remember, workers and queens come from fertilised eggs, drones come from unfertilised eggs. So if you suddenly find only drones in the colony, the best guess answer you can make is that the queen has a problem in fertilising her eggs. So where does all this leave me in trying to prevent a similar scenario from happening again later this year? Well, firstly, I can take more care in feeding fondant to my bees and not make any of these silly mistakes in preventing access to the fondant. That's a really simple fix on the face of it. Just as an aside, I did notice quite a lot of colonies were very much on their last crumbs of food last week. If we hadn't had such a mild winter and warm spring, I think I may have had to feed a lot earlier and for a lot longer. The benefit now is that those colonies that have almost completely empty brood boxes are able now to fill up with new stores and lots of eggs, larvae and sealed brood. The flip side of that is the very frugal bees that didn't eat their way through all of the stores have as much as four or five frames of solid stores in their brood boxes and are now limited in the amount of room the queen has to lay eggs and expand the colony. Those colonies I'm working my way through and removing several frames of stores and giving them fresh frames of foundation. The colonies all look really healthy, so I can save these frames and use them in nuke boxes to supplement any splits or swarms at a later stage, but more of that in another podcast. It's interesting to see just how colonies differ in the amount of food they work through over the winter period, and something I really should pay more attention to. Another item for the jobs list, data gathering for overwintered food stores. But let's now consider the drone-laying queen colonies in more detail and how to prevent this from happening this year. The overriding similarity between colonies that have drone-laying queens is the lateness of mating. They're all new queens that emerged late last year. There were no older queens that had simply come to the end of their natural life and run out of sperm due to old age. Another good reason for keeping accurate records and marking queens with the correct colour. Anyway, the answer here is simple. It's also one that I seem to really struggle with. Don't try to overwinter colonies that are not headed up by a successfully mated queen after the end of August. 
I'm now running enough colonies to have all of the boxes filled with bees by the end of August and settling down for the autumn and winter, and there's no need to attempt to keep those odd colonies that seem to want to have new queens in September. Better all round to simply unite colonies together and give the combined larger colony the better chance of survival. So you could argue that all of the winter losses were down to me and not due to any other more natural causes. At least I managed to keep the mice out of all the colonies this winter, so there were no nasty surprises this time round. With winter losses out of the way, I can now focus on getting colonies settled into the new spring season and looking to manage the early season swarming that inevitably starts around now. Of all the colonies inspected this week, I only found one colony with queen cells containing larvae and another with a couple of queen cells with eggs in. Quite a number of others had started producing rudimentary queen cups. Those are the little cups that look a little bit like acorn cups. These I don't class as queen cells until they have something in them. Up until that point, they're classed as rudimentary queen cups. I expect the next round of inspections will reveal a lot more colonies building rudimentary queen cups and starting to develop them as queen cells. The inspections generally went really well. Just one sting on the finger, which was my own fault. Oh, and one sting on the ankle, which was down to grumpy bees. I appear to have just one very defensive colony. By that I mean they greet me as I approach the hive and keep my smoker occupied until I get back into the truck. This colony is top of the list for requeening and needs to be moved as it's currently in the drone donor apiary at the queen rearing site and I really don't want those traits being passed on to any other colony. Thank you very much. There's enough to do in an apiary each time without having to constantly fend off persistently defensive bees. This colony will be the last colony in the apiary to be inspected next time and it's worth noting that if you have a colony that's obviously the grumpiest, it's wise to leave them undisturbed until you've been through all the others. If not, you'll find they'll follow you from hive to hive and it will appear all of your colonies are grumpy, when in fact it's just the first one that you looked at. Of course, it may also be true that all your colonies are grumpy and you need an urgent requeening programme, but that's an entirely different proposition. All of the colonies on the oilseed rape site have a minimum of two supers on where they are needed. I do have a wide range of colony strengths and some just don't need supers at all as yet. Remember also that some of these colonies are nukes transferred across to full-sized hives and some of these are not getting supered just yet either. The crop here is suddenly in full bloom. I'm not sure why it surprises anyone as we all know how it goes but every year I find myself open-mouthed and wondering how it suddenly flowers so quickly. The bees will definitely be enjoying the flush of pollen and nectar, and with the warm weather set for most of this Easter weekend, I'm sure the inspections will show some excellent results. I'm back on Saturday to inspect again, so I'm quite excited to see how they're progressing. I recorded a video as I arrived at the field last week to drop some boxes off. There were two peacocks in the middle of the road having a bit of a standoff. They didn't seem at all bothered that I wanted to get past in the truck and just continued to watch each other closely in case one of them made a sudden move. It was quite comical really. Hopefully 
I'll post the video soon. It's only about 20 seconds long or thereabouts, but it was quite a surprise to see them in the middle of the road. At the other sites, everything is nice and steady. Without the huge flow that you get with oilseed rape, things appear a little more controlled. I've added at least one super to most other colonies, and I should say, yes, I've also added queen excluders. Spring cleaning will start in earnest over the next couple of weeks as we carry out inspections. It's one of the easiest jobs with the wooden hives, as it's a quick scrape and a waft of a flame, whereas the poly hives will need water heating up and a quick scrub. It's not a major issue, but it does need planning. Thank goodness Pete is in lockdown at the workshop. This is a really good time of the year to check for fowl brood diseases, American fowl brood and European fowl brood. You'll hear them referred to as AFB and EFB respectively. The reason it's a good time is there are generally less bees in the brood box than at the height of the season, and it's therefore easier to shake the bees off the combs and inspect the brood. It doesn't take long and will go a long way to make sure all your colonies are in prime health as you go into the summer. It's an opportunity also to spot wax moth and other brood issues, such as chalk brood and sack brood. A good spring clean and the colonies are set fair for the summer. I particularly like the fact that swapping the brood boxes means frames are so much easier to move and lift out when compared to the gnarly, propolised, difficult-to-move frames stuck in overwintered boxes. It seems like a lot of effort now, but in a month's time it will all make perfect sense. For those of you just taking ownership of your very first nucleus colony of honeybees, I wish you good luck for the coming season. I know it can seem quite daunting, especially as you've probably been offered help and guidance, which has recently been missing due to the coronavirus issues. Well, don't worry, beekeeping is really simple at the heart of it. Take a look at my guides for moving bees from a nuke into a full-size hive and follow the inspection process for the first year. I have a playlist on YouTube that you could follow. Keep them well supplied with food as they draw out the frames of foundation you've given them and enjoy watching them as they head out and back on foraging duties. Something to remember is not to get too keen on inspecting them every other day. Leave them between inspections for a week or so so that they can settle back down after the disturbance of each inspection and just enjoy watching them between inspections for now. Well, that's it for this week. Have a great beekeeping Easter weekend. Stay safe and please do remember to check out my Patreon page where you can access lots more content. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Music